my, uh, my car is a constant reminder of the grace of God. Uh, we call it the beast in our house. 2005 Ford Expedition. It's tough. Black wheels. And it was a gift. Uh, it was a gift after Harvey because my car flooded in Harvey. And it was a gift from someone I'm st- I've still never met. Uh, in the state of Colorado that had it driven down and drove it to my office and they handed me the keys and I've been driving it ever since. I love the beast, but it's got a lot of idiosyncrasies and one of them has become very prevalent and I'm very aware of it in recent days because on a really cold morning when I get into the beast, all of the windows are so fogged and the the windows actually don't go down. So you can't like push them down and, and clean them off. And so I try to clean off some spots and I get the defrost going, but oftentimes the first 10 or 15 minutes in the car, the the visibility is nil. So in order to like back out of my driveway in the mornings, I open the door and look out to make sure I'm not going to run over my son's bike or like hit someone that's walking their dog. You know, I feel like I'm a danger to myself and other people because the visibility is is nearly... uh, Nearly, non-exi- nearly non-existent. And, uh, and so I've been considering each morning as I get in the car and I'm trying to figure out how to navigate this big vehicle with very little visibility. And as I was preparing this week, having had that experience fresh each morning, I realized, I realized something, that the solo life, the life lived alone without rich and meaningful connection with strong brothers and sisters is kind of like that. Like we begin to navigate life with significant blind spots, a danger to ourselves and to others, where we start to recede into the shadows, where we're not living in the light and experiencing the great blessings and the joy and the richness of life lived in real deep and profound community, that we actually need each other. We are made for each other made to experience one another in real and robust ways that we actually need our our lives to be seen by one another and to actually unfold next to each other. This is why one of the the ways that we talk about the seven-mile road together, we we take our name as we are exploring together in the month of January, we take our name from Luke chapter 24, the two men that were on the road to Emmaus, and we say that they're, they're their kind of journey down that road took place in three different distinct chapters. And we're going to explore those today and over the next two weeks. And the first, the first portion of that journey was that they were journeying together. They were sharing honestly. They were, they were walking together and sharing their hearts with one another. And what we realized together as a community is we allow that narrative to shape who we are as, as Seven Mile Road is that we have a firm conviction that we won't accomplish what God has called us to, we won't be the people that God has made us to be if we don't live deeply with one another, if we don't understand what it means to journey together. Honest relationships with strong brothers and sisters that will beautify and enrich our lives. And so we want to explore that today by this morning plunging into 1 John chapter 1, the verses that were just read for us. And I'm just going to exhort you to something. It's very simple. Like if you're, going to, if you're a note taker, this would be the, the note at the top of the page. And I hope everything else that comes from this is going to support this statement and prove this statement and call you to this statement. It's this. Live in the light. It's just better that way. 
Like the invitation this morning is to live the whole of your life in the light of community. Like deeply all the way to the bottom saying, here I am, I want to know you, I need you to know me, and together we are going to journey together. The invitation is to live in the light. It's just better that way. And I want to see if I can't prove that to you from this text and invite you into that from this text. Very simply, what we're going to do is we're going to explore the dangers of darkness. If it's better to live in the light, I want to expose to us the dangers of darkness. And then we're going to talk about the benefits of the light. And then finally, we're going to talk about how do we turn those lights on in our life. So from this text, what are the dangers of darkness? What are the dangers of allowing our lives to recede into this darkness? In, this, in the verses that we just read, we learned that, learned that God is light. He is light, and he's beckoning us into his light, and then he's, he's playing back and forth as John is writing in this passage between the light and the darkness based off of uh, verse to verse. And so I want us to first explore the verses in this passage about the darkness. And the dangers of darkness, very simply stated, is this. It's a disintegrated life. Have you ever thought about when something disintegrates, it comes apart in your hands, what's it doing? It's actually, it's not staying whole. It's being reduced to its parts. It's disintegrating. In our lives, we will live a disintegrated life. It's not whole and together, the degree to which we start to recede into the shadows. And that shows up in this text in a few different ways. The first is this. The first way that we will have a disintegrated life in the darkness is that we will actually be alienated from others. Look at verse 6 with me in the passage that we just read. If we say that we have fellowship with him, meaning this God who is light, so we say, yeah, I'm in with God, I'm good with him, while we walk in darkness. So this is while a significant portion of our life is unfolding in the darkness, things that we don't want others to know, places that we're kind of hiding from community. If we say we have fellowship with God while we're living like that, he says we lie and we do not practice the truth. This idea of living a lie and not practicing the truth is rupturing relationship. We actually begin to be alienated from community where we start to hide our lives in the darkness. This is the first way that a life is disintegrated. I remember talking with a church leader several years ago. He and I were catching up, and I said, man, how are you doing? What's going on? Tell me how you're doing. He said, yeah, you know, I've got about six or seven plates spinning right now. Got about six or seven plates spinning. Life feels really full. He said, one of those plates is kind of starting to wobble, but other than that, everything's great. I was like, oh, man, sounds like he's, he's doing really well. I, I found out within the week that what he meant by one wobbly plate was that he was about to get divorced and that an adulterous relationship was just coming to the light. And I realized hearing this news within the week about this one I'd been talking with earlier on in the week, and I was going, ah, six or seven plates spinning. I, I came away thinking, six out of seven, not bad, he's doing great. And realizing that what was beginning to happen was a disintegrated life that was alienating from real connection with others. This happens, we actually sever connection with others when we start to posture and show a certain image to everyone for always trying to protect our image, meaning that we share some of the truth, but we always stop short of the whole truth. If we're always stopping a little bit short from really sharing what's going on all the way down to the bottom, we don't journey together. We journey alone together. You know, like, 
The journey is just mine. I'm not really inviting anybody into the actual challenges and struggles and sin that is that is I'm wrestling with in the secret places, but I'm fine with you to walk along beside me, but we're going to journey alone together. It's kind of like that great line from the from Billy Joel's classic, The Piano Man, where he says they're, they're sharing a drink they call loneliness, but it's better than drinking alone. Sometimes Christian community starts to operate that way because we stop short of the full truth. We stop short of really inviting one another in. And as a result, yeah, we're together, but we're alone together. I'm alone in my struggle. I'm alone in my sin. And you just happen to be the one next to me. You see, we become alienated from one another. And, and this is this place where we start to live a disintegrated life. We're not experiencing the richness that God's designed us for. But it's interesting, in that same verse, did you hear it at the conclusion? He says that we lie and we do not practice the truth. What an interesting phrase. He doesn't say we lie and do not tell the truth. He's not talking about speaking something. He says we don't practice the truth. The word is to do. It's an action statement. He says we don't practice truth when we start to live this way with one another. I was just reminded, I was thinking my, one of my sons asked for a guitar for Christmas and his, his uncle, who is a, is a really great guitar player, gave him one of his old guitars and we've been working trying to learn some chords together which I'm not musical, I haven't done that. It's new to both of us, and so we're learning these new chords. And if you've ever tried to learn how to play guitar, I mean, Russ and Arun and all these guys, they make it look so easy. It's not easy. It's hard to learn, but you know, I'm, I'm working on getting my fingers just right. You get these, the pain at the end of your fingers, you know, it's, it starts to working up calluses. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm learning these chords with him, right? And I started to realize that discomfort the tenderness and the pain on the front end when you start to practice and to work at something, I think living in the light is kind of like that. It doesn't immediately come naturally. It requires muscle memory that you have to force yourself into, and you have to do it time and time again and go back to that place where it's like kind of tender and you think, I don't really want to sit down and do this again. But as you start to practice the truth, that's how you learn the muscle memory and you can start to play the song more freely and more easily. You see, the invitation is to not just tell the truth, but as we tell the truth, to practice telling the truth and to do it over and over again until we get good at it. This is the reality saying we will be alienated from each other until we're willing to, to step into that sort of space. The disintegrated life is alienated from each other, but not just that. The dangers of the darkness that produces a disintegrated life, it alienates us from each other, but then more deeply, if you look at verse 8, the danger under the danger is that you become alienated from yourself. Look at verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So in verse 6, we're claiming to have fellowship with God, but we're walking in darkness. And then underneath that, there's this sense in which if we get pressed on it and go, well, you say you're with God, but you're walking with darkness, he's almost anticipating the response of, I'm not walking with dar in darkness. No, 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 it's not that big of a deal. Everything's basically fine. He says, if you say you're without sin, now you've deceived yourself and there's no truth in you. You see, you're not just alienated from each other, but underneath that, if you get comfortable beginning to live in the shadows, brothers, sisters, friends, if there are secret things that you're cultivating about your life and you're growing comfortable there, 
You start to grow comfortable residing in the shadows. It starts to seep down into your bones. You start to buy your own lines. You start to believe that, yeah, six out of seven, they really are kind of, the plates are whirling around pretty good. We start to actually buy our own press. The way that we tell our story and the way that we reposition the facts. It reminds me of Underland in Narnia. If you, any Chronicles of Narnia fans, in the silver chair, there's this one particular portion where, where the heroes of the story have to go underground and they journey through this underground land and they meet these people that have lived underground for so long that their eyes have adjusted and they're able to navigate in the shadows and they are terrified of the light because they've learned how to just live there. Their eyes have adjusted and they're more comfortable. Their eyes see more clearly in that space than where the sun shines. I think some of us have just begun to live in underland, like disoriented from ourselves to such a degree that we've convinced ourselves, yeah, it's not that bad. This relationship and the way that it's taken shape and the things that are unfolding, not that big of a deal. The way that we tell the story back to ourselves of we give ourselves lots of excuses and leeway of, well, the reason I was there, the reason that thing happened, I didn't mean it. I didn't intend it. I had the best of intentions. It's never going to happen again. Whatever story we have to tell to ourselves over and over again, we've gotten really good at this place of, of actually becoming disintegrated to the point of being alienated even from ourselves. I had a friend that recently was bit by a brown recluse spider and it, he had a, like a little swelling and he was like, ooh, it hurts a little bit. I think it might have been a brown recluse, but I'm okay, I'm fine. And then the next day it was like a little more swollen. He sent me a photo picture of it. I was like, ooh, uh, that looks bad, man. And he's like, no, no, it's fine, it's good, it's fine. The next day, it had swollen and turned colors to the point where he couldn't raise his arm over his head. He finally had to, had to bend and go to the hospital and have a surgery. And, and all of a sudden, what they told him is, if you had continued to convince yourself that it's fine, it's okay, this could have been deadly. Like this, the venom is in you, and it would have just kept working through the system. This is the danger under the danger, is that we're not just alienated from one another, we actually become alienated from ourselves and we can't even figure out how deep and venomous the stuff that's happening really is. And then lastly, the disintegrated life, the dangers of the darkness is not just that I'm alienated from you and I'm alienated from myself, but then in verse 10, we see the danger under the danger under the danger. This is the real danger. We're actually alienated from God in verse 10. Look at it with me. He says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him, this God of light, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is the most dangerous and the deepest reality of all. It's where we've lived in denial and self-justification for so long. We deny, no, it's not that bad. And then we tell ourselves a story I really have the best of intentions. It's never going to happen again. I've got everything under control. I don't need to live in the light with the community. I don't need to... Underneath all of that, he's saying, you've made God out to be a liar, and his truth's not in you. And you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I never called God a liar. I'm not disregarding God. But what he's saying is this. Like, you may have heard some truth, 
But the truth is not in you if you've grown really comfortable living in the shadows. Because you, you may have heard Genesis 4, 7, sin crouches at your door and its desire is for you. It's a statement that, that sin wants all of you. Or James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it says that your desires give birth to sin and sin gives birth to death. God's word has said to us this, your desire is one generation from death. It will destroy you. It wants all of you. And so the degree to which we have grown accustomed kind of cultivating and loving our sin in a secret place and not letting anybody in on it, treating it like it's our precious and the secret spot and going, well, I'll live life out here, but this I'm going to cling to and it's just for me and I'm fine. I've got it all under control. He's saying the truth is underneath all of that, you think God's a liar. He's been very clear with you. That will kill you. It will rob you of your joy and your life and your vitality and your fullness. It wants all of you and it won't be satisfied until you have been disintegrated. It may be that we've heard the truth, but the truth is not in us if we're comfortable to keep living like that. Because the truth is, God has already told us, it will dominate us. You see, if the truth is in us, we're going to say, not that I have it all together, but I desperately need the light because I understand the dangers of the darkness. Do you hear it? Verse 6, 8, and 10 is sketching out for us. Here are the dangers of darkness. A disintegrated life, alienated from others, alienated from ourselves, and alienated from God himself. But laced through this passage did you notice we, we selected 6, 8, and 10 there? But in 7 and 9, we're going to start to see that John is weaving a story. And, and in between what he's delivered for us is the benefits of the light. Not just the dangers of the darkness, but the benefits of the light. And I want us to explore that together. The benefits of the light in verse 7. Just if I could summarize for you the benefits of the light, I'd say it like this. A community that is drenched in light is relationally rich and radically free. Like as opposed to being disintegrated, coming apart, a community that is drenched in the light is going to experience rich relational connection and is going to be radically free. Let's look at it in verse 7. It says this, If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What a beautiful picture in verse 7 of what it means to be in the light. The first note is relationally rich. He says, we will have fellowship with one another. Like in this first equation, where we're kind of hiding and we're journeying alone together, we have this plastic thing going on. We have a plastic Jesus and plastic relationships because it's superficial and it's just about being shiny and holding it all together. But what he says is that if we walk in the light together, we will have fellowship. We will be known. We will no longer journey alone together, but we will journey together. We will start to experience the way that relationship was intended to be because we will know that someone is with me truly. You can have the great privilege of knowing 
that someone is with you truly in all of the stuff of your life. That there's no area where you're, where you're alone, where you're fighting it alone, where you're trying to hold it together alone. You see, we start to realize, I really can journey with others. I remember one of the very first times I experienced this. It was a bit scary and a bit overwhelming. I was actually, I just completed my freshman year of college and uh, I was coming home, happy to spend a summer at home, somewhat exhausted from all that the year had held. Feeling like I was coming home as a different person with new experiences, but also realizing that there were some things in the secret, there were some things in the darkness. And I had this group of friends back home that all alongside of me claimed to be with God, claimed to have fellowship with God. We, we wanted to love God. We had known each other for six years and we'd been friends all the way through high school and we'd all gone off to college in different places and we were all gonna be back home together. And I felt like God was telling me, you need to invite these guys into all of the places of your heart. And so as a freshman in college, I, I said, hey, I'd love for us to get together once a week and we're going to do that. We're, I didn't fully explain to them what was going to happen, but I said, let's, let's do this. And we got together at my friend's house and we were all hanging out. And I said, okay, I think it's time that we start really telling each other, like really telling each other what's going on and starting to really pray for one another. And I, my heart was racing. I'd been so nervous knowing that, you know, I'd known these guys for years. We'd talked about all kinds of things. We'd played sports together and we knew each other's families and we'd slept over at each other's houses and we'd been on trips together. Like we knew one another. But all of a sudden my heart was racing and I was so nervous. And, and I started to say, here's who I really am and here's what I've been dealing with. And I need, I need you guys to walk with me. And then they in turn started to do the same. And what happened was that what had been a relationship that had been like this, all of a sudden it was a relationship that got extended out into places we'd never been together and the richness that set in in that room. And over the next eight weeks to every week come back and do that, it changed our lives. It changed the way we went back to our college campuses. It changed our friendships and relationships from that point forward. Still some of my dearest friends, I went and stayed with one of them over New Year's, got to see he and his family. His youngest son is baby Jeremiah. My, my precious little Jeremiah, I love this little guy. Because what happened, honestly, in that bedroom that summer, like God was knitting our hearts together because we were willing to go there. We were not gonna continue to journey alone together. We were really gonna journey together. You see, relational richness for you is just on the other side of having enough courage to walk through the door of vulnerability. Like the door of vulnerability that requires so much courage to open and walk through, on the other side is all the richness and the relationship that God has designed you for and has in store for you. You see, the benefits of the light are that it's relationally rich and then you're radically free. Did you hear the second statement in that verse, in verse 7? the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That it's not just that I had fellow travelers, but I was getting to taste the grace of Jesus more deeply. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer has said, the gospel is more believable on your lips than in my head. I'm trying to convince myself that yes, God loves me, but I'm riddled with, with guilt and hidden sin. But then when I bring it into the light and a brother or a sister can look you in the eye and go, ah, that really does break the heart of God. And it's not okay. 
It's not okay that you live there. It's devastating. But listen, listen to me. Jesus died on the cross and his blood is effective to wash you of your sin and you're loved and you're free. When you can look across from someone and they rehearse the gospel, that's the practicing of the truth. Now we're practicing truth. We're rehearsing it. We're remembering, oh yes, the gospel is true and I am a sinner and I do need grace and it is available and I can come home. And when we begin to rehearse that together, what we realize is that we are cleansed all the way to the bottom by the grace of Jesus. One of my favorite things in my house is I've got this 10-inch rainfall shower head in my, in my shower. But because I love it. It's one of my favorite things. But it's got the calcium deposits build up. And so every six weeks or so, it just doesn't flow and so it'll start to get stopped up where different nozzles don't work or one spews sideways like cold water. And so if I just let it go, it ends up being no good, of no benefit to me. So every couple of weeks, I need to stand and I actually have to clean off all of the little nodules. And then when you turn it back on, it's like, whew, you're standing under the waterfall again. This is confession. This is living in the light that the grace is pent up and ready, warm and refreshing. It will cleanse you. It's there. Jesus has accomplished it. It's available to you. But it's us standing together like life feels like it gums up the works. We can't receive the love of God. It feels distant and cold, like it's spraying sideways and it's weak. But when we come into the light together again, it's like we're positioning ourselves to all of a sudden have it run down over us, to cleanse us truly, to remind us of our status in God. You see, the benefits of living in the light are that you relationally rich life and a radically free life. This is what Jesus has delivered for us at the cross. To my not yet Christian friends who are in the room or who are watching online, I just want you to know it's available to you to come home, to be free, to not feel like you have to hide or posture or pretend or to fake it anymore. The love of God frees us to be wholly human in all of our flaws and all of our weaknesses and to say, this is me. And to be remade by the grace of God in community together that Jesus has paid the price and this verse tells us that his blood can and will cleanse us from all sin. Some of you think I am beyond hope. I can't be cleansed. I have too much sin. This text says otherwise. The grace of Jesus is sufficient for you. And I would say, make today the day that you come home. If you haven't yet, the doors are wide and Jesus has made a way for you. You see, we can experience a radically free life in Jesus. You see, the dangers of darkness is that we're disintegrated. We're coming apart from each other, ourselves, and from God. The benefit of the light, of living in the light, is that we live relationally rich lives and radically free lives. So finally, before we close, how do we turn on the light? How do we flip on the light in full flood so that we can live there together? Look at verse 9 with me. It says this. If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That same word cleanse shows up again, that he is, he is cleansing us from all of our sin, from all of our unrighteousness. We are being washed by the grace of God. And here the, the if statement is that if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to do this work. The word confess literally means to agree or to tell the truth, this Greek word that is used. It means to, to, to agree or to say the truth again, to come in alignment with truth. So all that we're doing is we're admitting what has always been true. We're just saying it aloud. We're agreeing with God. You already know this to be true of me, and I'm just naming it. I'm confessing it. And the invitation, he's talking about the community walking together in light and confessing their sins. The confession of sin one to another and ultimately to God. Like, we don't need a confessor. We don't need someone that we call father and that, that wears some sort of special garb. We have the priesthood of all believers, the New Testament tells us. We can be each other's confessors. The invitation is to so love one another and to step into space with one another and say, I need you to know the full truth about me and to confess one to another that when we do, we experience this cleansing and this power. That we, in doing this work, begin to live in transparency and experience the joys. The invitation is to start to consider how deeply are you walking in the community that you're a part of? How plastic is it? How superficial and polished is it? The degree to which your community feels superficial and polished is the degree to which you are being robbed of all that God has for you in Christian community. He's inviting you to be honest, to step in, so my, my invitation to you, my question is, in 2021, where do you need to step in more fully to community? What we said in, in this series of On the Road Again is we want to say, we want to, all that God has for us, we want to be disciples with burning hearts on this road together, which requires us to actually journey together, truly, which requires commitment and leaning in. Where do you need to commit all over again? The way that you join Seven Mile Road, some of you know, some of you in this room have joined Seven Mile Road. It's not like joining an institution. It's not checking a box and saying, I agree to these, these principles or these beliefs, although that's part of it. When you join Seven Mile Road, you're joining a mission and a movement. We call it gospel partnership because we believe that everyone who joins is a partner for the cause of the gospel in the world because we exist to embody and declare God's redemptive story to every Houstonian. You may have heard that before. And when you join, you actually, you form an individual discipleship plan. You ask a series of questions that relate to the strategies in the Seven Mile Road. Journey together, behold Jesus, spread hope. And in this series, today and over the next couple of weeks, I want to introduce all of you to these questions. So whether or not you're a gospel partner, you can be thinking about this with us. You can be thinking about what does it mean to be a disciple ready to take my next steps with Jesus? And when we talk about journey together as Seven Mile Road, there's three questions we ask. I want to put them up on the screen for you. Three simple questions that we ask and we kind of, we try to self-evaluate. The first is this, are the relationships at my home ordered around discipleship? Meaning, are you living in the light with your roommates, 
or your spouse and your kids, the people that you live closest with, are you trying to figure out what it means to lean in and live holy in the light there? Are your relationships at home ordered around discipleship? And if not, what would it look like to take a step? Do you need to have a meeting like I did after my freshman year of college? Gather everybody together in your house and go, hey, we're going to make some new commitments to one another. Here's some things, ways we're going to pray for one another, ways we're going to live honestly. What would it look like for your household, you and your roommates or you and your family members, to lean in to submitting to the direction and lordship of Jesus in 2021? The second one is, are you actively loving and serving the members of your house church? Like making a commitment to a group of people that you might not have picked as friends in the sense of maybe we're not just like perfectly like one another, but I've leaned in and now I'm committing to Christian community, believing that on the other side of the door of vulnerability, there's rich relational connection. I'm going to keep serving and loving the members of my house church through all of this challenge. For some of you, that would mean that you need to connect to a house church. If you're not, I would invite you to do that. Make a commitment to it. Actually allow your life to begin to be shaped around Christian community. That's just taking God at his word and trying to live out what he's intended for us, right? And then don't just show up as a passive participant. One way for a house church to not be a great experience is to show up and think that because I came, something's gonna happen to me. This is a community that we're committing to. We're gonna labor to love and pray for and serve. Where you begin to do that, we see God move in power. What would it look like for you to do that in 2021? The third question we ask is, is there anyone right now that you're confessing sin to? Like all the way down to the bottom, that you're known. So if we're going to be disciples on the road again, the first thing we've gotta do, we've gotta journey together. What would it look like for you to stop journeying alone together and start journeying together? Brothers and sisters, the invitation is that you would live in the light, radically and holy. Live in the light with this community because it's just better that way. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, we are um, we're prone to selfishness and to sin and division, to hiding, to self-justification. It's in us, and it breaks us apart. It ruptures relationships. It leaves us disintegrated, like coming apart. I pray that even today, even now, by the power of your spirit, you'd be stirring in us and changing us in such a way that we would say, no more. We want to take you at your word. We want to trust you and lean in, God. And I pray that this would be a community that is living in the light, that we would be drenched in the light, experiencing rich relationship and being radically free in Jesus. I thank you that these gifts have been purchased and secured for us by the work of Jesus on the cross. We revel in that and we say thank you. Even as we prepare our hearts now to come to the table, would you help us to come with gratitude and joy that our gift of community actually flows out of the work of Jesus. Jesus, you're our king and our hope. We love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.